Hey friends, Dave Hagan here. Is Social Security going broke? Not. But stick around. We'll talk about it. That's today on the Financial Wellness Podcast. Welcome to the Financial Wellness Podcast, Dave's weekly message to keep you on your path to financial success. Here's your host, financial problem solver and talk show host, Dave Hagan. Hey, thanks, Nick. Welcome, everybody, to the Financial Wellness Podcast. We're here in beautiful downtown Van Nuys with me today, Mr. Brian Reed. Welcome, Brian. Good to be here as always, Dave. Always, always a pleasure. So today I want to talk about Social Security and whether it's going broke. You know, we hear a lot in the media about Social Security and that's not going to be there for me or you or certainly not for our listeners when we retire. And um, I started to think about that and, and wanted to know why that might be true. So I always assumed that it was true. Um, I'm, that's certainly what I always heard in the media. That's certainly always how I've uh, tried to um, put together, you know, my financial life. I never planned to live on it, still don't, but I wanted to check around and see how it was going to go broke or what it was going to be about, what was going on with this Social Security program, National Social Security program, by the way. So I started to look around and do some research, and what I found out is it's not really going broke. Chances are it's going to be there. Now, it might be different, benefits might be less, but it's not going broke. Now, if you define broke as not being able to pay your obligations when they become due, well then yes, I guess technically broke is the right word to use. I mean, this is a word that gets great play in the media because it seems to imply that there'll be nothing for anybody. You know, it's, it's not going away. It may be able, like I said, to pay smaller amounts of benefits, but it's, it's hardly going broke. It's hardly going out of business. It's not going to be upside down uh, when we all get ready to retire. Now, admittedly, the system is significantly in need of some attention. It needs some help, but it's not going broke. So why should millennials and Gen X's care? I mean, is, is is it a big deal? Well, yeah, it's a big deal. It's a big deal because in 2017, one in six Americans received Social Security benefits. Uh, It's a big deal because in 2017, over one half of all Americans contributed some of their income through payroll tax for Social Security. And yet, it's a big deal because, you know, they're taking your damn money. We ought to know what it's going for and how much of it, if any, is going to come back. So how does this Social Security thing work? Well, for employees, 12.4% is contributed as a payroll tax. About half of that's deducted from your check, and the other half comes from your employer. If you're self-employed, you basically pay all of this. Now, there's a cap on the amount that you have to contribute every year. It's about $132,000. It's going up every year, but right now about $132,000. After that, you don't need to contribute. Now, in 2017, this brought in $996 billion. So last year... $996 billion. Remember that number. 88% of this money was taxes. 8% of this money was interest on accrued funds, and 4% was from from other sources. 
Now, again, in 2017, approximately 952 billion was spent, 952 billion spent. So I know you're thinking, wow, that's in excess of about $44 billion. So in 2017, they accrued $44 billion. It was a good year. 84% of that went to retirement benefits. 15% went to benefits for disabled workers. And less than 1% went to administrative costs. Now, for years, more has flowed into Social Security than going out. For years, currently, the accrued money is about 2.9 trillion bucks. 2.9 trillion bucks, excess money, all invested in Treasury securities, T-bills. Now, the, the idea has kind of been that new workers come into the system and they pay to cover the retirement benefits to those that are retiring. Now, hopefully, as an economy expands, more new workers come in and they pay the benefits for all the retiring people. However, more and more people are retiring now. In fact, in 2017, 10,000 people per day become 65, all being available for benefits. And remember, when Social Security was first put together, at age 65, the life expectancy wasn't too much past that. Now, they're talking about 80, 85, 90. Someone told me the other day that I could reasonably expect to live to 100. So someone like me could expect to draw Social Security till I'm 100. And if there's more people like that that are doing that, you can see that there's going to be more money coming out of the system than, than going into the system. Now, the next thing people ask is, you know, is government taking the money? I mean, I just naturally assumed that they were using that money to operate the government or something. Well, no, not exactly. Like I said, it's in T-bills, the safest investment you can potentially have, except for maybe cash or CDs, maybe, with a bank. Uh, T-bills are backed up by the federal government, and as long as the federal government's around, um, you know, that money's going to be there. But, yeah, the money's been lent to the government and, and they're paying interest on it. I guess that's not a problem because uh, the government, uh, you know, the United States economy is pretty strong, the government's pretty strong, but um, if you consider the fact that, uh, I just heard this the other day, the total national debt is now almost 22 trillion, that's 22 trillion dollars, you start to uh, wonder, wow, um, are they gonna be able to pay the interest on that debt uh, for much longer? But in any event, the money's held in T-bills, it's relatively safe, but this is why people say that the government has robbed Social Security. No, it's been put in T-bills. Uh, this is why people call it a Ponzi scheme because new people are paying for benefits for old. Sounds kind of like a Ponzi scheme. It's not exactly the same thing, but of course, there's enough truth there to make it onto television. Um, but at the end of the day, chances are the government's going to be around to pay these benefits. Social Security's not going to go broke, but no, it does mean that some years down the line, and experts figure about 2034, they'll only be able to pay about 79% of the benefits that they should. This is the first year, by the way, where there will be no excess income taken in over expenditures. So this is the first year that Social Security is going to be negative, 2018. 
If we take this excess money and use it up as projected in 2034, this means that the interest, which currently amounts for 8% of the money that's being generated, would go away. So we're going to have a problem come 2034 where they might only be able to pay 79% of the benefits. And between now and then, this reserve is going to be spent down a little bit every month or every year, I should say, so that this interest income, this component of the money coming in, which remember I said was about 8%, won't be there. So in 2034, there's going to be some issues. There's going to be some problems. It's going to happen over time. It's going to happen slowly. But we need to do something to make sure that this is going to be around for us. Now, is the money sound? I mean, let's think about that again. Yeah, they're in T-bills, pretty safe investment. But it's never a good idea to have all of your money invested in one investment, right? You talk to any investment advisor and they'll tell you to diversify. And yet the Social Security Fund is all invested in T-bills in the United States government. So that means at present, there's $2.8 billion in T-bills, maybe getting a return of 2%. Really? That doesn't seem like a very good idea to me. If I went in and talked to an investment advisor and said, I'm all in T-bills at 2%, uh, they might say, hmm, you need to diversify. Maybe we can get you a little bit return, better return. But this is what the Social Security Fund is doing. So knowing all this, should we consider Social Security to be a complete retirement device? Well, of course not. The program itself says that you should only count on Social Security to replace maybe 40% of your pre-retirement wages. So this means that it's only a partial, partial solution to the whole retirement system. We've got to have something else. You can't rely just on Social Security. But interestingly enough, about 26% of those people 65 and over that are on Social Security depend on it for almost all of their retirement income. So obviously, this is a problem. Forget about the possibility of decreased benefits. Forget about the possibility of the system um, bringing in 8% less because there's no reserves come 2034. You really shouldn't plan on it for all of your retirement. Maybe you think of it as, hey, it'll cover my food and transportation, or it'll cover a couple of things, and then I need to augment it or have something else that's going to be my main retirement. But you can't plan on it completely, and a full 26% of the people out there are relying upon it for their, their full retirement income. This is something that we've got to get out there. We've got to talk about we got to get people to stop doing that. So I just don't want to talk about the problems. You know, let's talk a little bit about potential solutions. How can we fix this? Well, one thing that's been suggested is that we increase the cap on contributions. Remember, I said that after about $130,000 of income, you don't have to contribute. Well, this sounds like a good idea, but it, it puts even more taxes on those earning more. And at some point, those people are going to look for alternate ways to generate revenue and maybe go to other countries, or maybe they're not going to want to generate income anymore. They're going to look for ways to generate capital gains, which are taxed at a lower rate. What we need to do, maybe increase that limit a little bit. It'll draw a little more income in. Obviously, no one solution is going to be the silver bullet to fixing Social Security, but maybe it's part of a comprehensive solution. 
I don't know. Something for our elected officials to talk about. Another thing that's been talked about is increasing the retirement age. Now, when we initially put this together, remember I said that people were pretty tired and didn't have a whole lot of life expectancy past 65 or so. Life expectancy is longer. People are working longer. People are in far better physical and mental condition at age 65, thanks to advances in medicine and what have you. So maybe we take that Social Security retirement age and push it up just a little bit, 65, 66 years, 67 years. I don't know. Maybe that's part of a solution. Again, something for our elected officials to take a look at. How about investing our money at a better rate? Wow, this seems pretty obvious to me, but I'm sure there's some impediments or problems to that. But let's take a look at that. You know, when we were talking about the five steps to financial success, we said one of the things everybody should do is save 10 to 15% of their income for retirement. And this amount withheld at a reasonable interest rate of return would result in a more than generous retirement. Well, why shouldn't 12% deducted from someone's pay by the government, basically, over many years provide for the same generous retirement? Well, the reason is Social Security is only getting T-bill rates on the investment, maybe only 2%. This is why the benefits will only pay for about 40% of what someone needs in their monthly retirement needs. So maybe we need to get our elected officials to look at that. Certainly T-bills are the most secure, among the most secure investment, but is there a possibility that it should diversify? I'll give you an example. In California, there's something called CalPERS, the Public Employees Retirement System. And that's an entity that was put together some years ago to invest money for retirement benefits for public employees. And they invest in all sorts of things. And some would argue that maybe we shouldn't be investing in the kinds of things that PERS invests in, but we could certainly invest in some of those kinds of things. Check this out. In 2018, PERS got 8.6% return on their investments. In 2017, they got like 15% on their investments. Now you're thinking, wow, this is great. But these are among some of the best years that PERS ever had. What you have to do is take a much longer picture, a much longer look at this. So what about the last, say, five years? Well, PERS got 9%. What about the last 10 years? Well, PERS got 5%. So I'm not saying we should be expecting 8%, 15%, even 9%. But gosh, if we could get 5% return over a long period of time, on the money that Social Security is holding, the amount of money that's available to pay out benefits would be substantially larger. Now, this isn't a silver bullet necessarily either, but is it perhaps part of a comprehensive reform or plan? Yes, yes. But we need to get our elected officials to start talking about this. Now, what about private accounts? Well, this sounds very attractive initially sounded very attractive to me, sounds very attractive to certain parts of the political spectrum, and obviously an individual investing their money will almost always do better than the government that's currently getting about 2%. However, individuals might also tend to invest that money in very speculative things like Bitcoin or some of these other things that have come along and get completely wiped out. The burden for these individuals, now without a retirement fund, 
would probably fall back upon the rest of us. So maybe this isn't that good of an idea. What about abolishing the system? Man, something that's returning 2%, that's taking 12% of my money, that's only going to provide 40% of available needs. That sounds good. Why not get rid of the system? Well, the problem is it's kind of ingrown into our society, and to get that to change would be nearly impossible. We'd probably be far better off trying to fix it, reform it, and keep it going in our society. I mean, it does provide a very important social benefit, of providing some kind of financial flooring to you know, our, our retired, our senior citizens. And remember that 26% of all people receiving Social Security benefits rely upon this as their sole source of income. We can't walk away from that, it seems to me, either. So what's our takeaway today? Well, one, Social Security isn't broke, as currently constituted. It, it may only be able to pay 79 cents on the dollar in benefits if we don't do something, but it's not broke, completely broke. Um, two, Social Security should only be counted on to provide about 40% of our needs in retirement. We need something additional. Three, the money's invested in T-bills. Maybe we need to think about some ways to take a little more risk and get a little better rate of return on that. And lastly, don't believe, as I did in this circumstance, everything that you hear or read in the media. I was reading that it was going to be broke, that it wasn't going to be there, and that's what I assumed to be the case. Why? Because I heard it on TV or I read it in the paper. I saw it on the Internet. Do your own research and come to your own conclusions. Compare and contrast different people's opinions on things like this. I tell people to do this all the time, and yet here I was believing exactly what I was hearing and reading, not doing my own research, not spending the time, little bit of time, frankly, to think it through. Social Security can be fixed, but we've got to have the political will to do it. Got a comment about this? Shoot me an email. Go to the website, thefinancialwellnesspodcast.com. Send me a comment. Tell me what you think about Social Security. We'll talk about it on a future show. This is Dave Hagan, and you're listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast. You've been listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast, Dave's weekly message to keep you on your path to financial success. If you have a question that you would like Dave to answer on the podcast, go to thefinancialwellnesspodcast.com. You can leave an audio message with one click of a button or type your message into the question box. Either way, it's sent right to Dave's phone. As an additional bonus, each month, Dave will randomly draw from the submitted questions and pick the winner of a free one-hour personal conversation with Dave to help you achieve your financial goals. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you receive the new episode notifications. Let's listen in now as Dave answers some emails. All right, we've got an audio email. So Brian, why don't you cue that up for us? Hey, Dave, this is Rob from Las Vegas. Your five steps to financial success seem so obvious and easy. Why don't more people have financial success? And please play this on the air. Love the show. Hey, Rob, thanks for the um, 
thanks for the audio email. And yeah, we're going to play this on the show. So I, I appreciate you sending us the question. You know, sometimes the most simple and obvious things, and I think that's the wording that you use, obvious or easy, sometimes those are the things that are the most powerful in our lives. Um, and yet people don't send, tend to believe it. You know, they say, oh, it's too easy. The answer is too easy. This stuff is pretty easy. To carry it out takes a little bit of willpower and a little bit of thoughtfulness. But it's not like we're talking about doing, uh, you know, bridge spreads on income and triage and beep, 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 beep. We're talking about some pretty simple, basic concepts. But most people don't believe that it's going to be effective. And yet it is. Over and over and over again, I've seen people do this. We've done it in our own life in terms of, um, you know, trying to put together money for savings in the long term for retirement, et cetera, et cetera. And it does work, but it takes a long time. Um, number two, I mean, people don't tend to think that much. I hate to say that, but they let their motor, they let their mind power, their brain be driven by somebody else, whether it's the media, whether it's, um, someone else in their family or a friend. They don't drive their own motor. I mean, we spent a whole podcast talking about this. But people let other people occupy their mind and they don't sit back and think about it and go, hmm, this makes sense or this is where I want to be or that's the kind of thing I want to do. They let other people drive them. So I just don't think they're paying attention. Um, number three, I don't think people think long term or think about the long run anymore. You know, we, we would think about what's happening next week or the next couple of days or the next couple of hours. And I don't think we step back and go, look, this is my life. Where do I want it to be in the last part of it? What's going to be my plan? What's going to be my impact? What's going to be my legacy? And financial legacy is part of that. I, but I just don't think that people think about that so much. Um, Another thing, uh, we're not taught this in school. I mean, we're worried about algebraic equations and history and blah, 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 and that's all very important stuff. But gosh, it would be nice to have a class on life planning or simple finances where they sit you down and talk to you about how money can double every seven years at 10% or to have a long-term financial plan or to put together some kind of a cash flow analysis on a monthly basis. It seems to me that's a very important skill that we should learn in junior high school, high school, something like that. I remember when I was back in school, and that was, you know, a couple of years ago, and um, one of the things that they taught us was how to balance a checkbook. And I thought at the time it was kind of silly, but I look back and that was an important skill. I don't know that we balance a checkbook so much anymore. We... We do it electronically. Our computers all do that. But we need to understand what the process is and how it works and how the computer does it and why it's important to do that. Um, but I don't think that they're talking to us about some of these other kinds of things. And I think that I think that that's important. I'd like to see more of that. I've got someone coming on the show uh, in a couple of weeks um, that's going to talk about um, uh, financial wellness education in, a, in the schools. And finally, I just, I just don't think that enough people listen to podcasts like this. Get that? I turned this into a plug. I don't think that people take the time every week to spend thinking about their financial week, their financial month, where they want to be. It doesn't take a lot of time. 
little bit of time, just a little bit of purposefulness, just a little bit of seriousness. So I don't think people are out there listening to stuff like this. This is why we put the podcast together, to touch people every week for just a short period of time, try and get them to be more purposeful, more thoughtful in terms of where they want to be. So you're right, Rob, it's not that difficult, but people don't do it because there's all these other things going on around us. We're not taught to do it very well. Um, people like to occupy our mind, keep us busy, and then we don't pursue the kinds of things that, that we want to pursue. So thanks for, uh, thanks for the question. Um, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about that. All right, Brian, I think we've got time for one more. You got that? Hey, let me read this one. Let me read this one. I've never read one before. Dave, I'm 25, single, just got a Christmas bonus. Any tips on how to make a quick buck? Signed, Dan. Dan, no. I got no tips on how to make a quick buck. Now, the answer to this question might depend a little bit upon your life position. Like if you're younger, you know, you might want to take a little more risk in terms of your investments. If you're a little older, perhaps not. Depends a little bit upon your life plan. If you're not going to, you know, rely upon a lot of investments, and you're going to travel around single, and that's your plan. You might do something different. If you're looking to move to the more traditional model, married and kids, you might do something else. But, you know, anyone, anytime anyone tells me quick buck, it just makes the hair on the, on the back of my neck go up. I mean, a quick buck is what made Vegas great. People looking for some kind of, you know, quick return on their money. And it doesn't usually happen that way, although you always hear about it. You always hear about People that won in Vegas, although 99% of the people that go there don't. But there's not really, we shouldn't be looking for the quick buck with our money. And I'm assuming that your, your bonus was significant. Otherwise, you would have already spent it on something real nice. Yeah, if it's not a large amount of money, spend it on something nice. Go, get, go out and get a new amplifier or you know, buy a guitar or whatever you want to do with that. But if it's something significant, I think you really need to sit down and come up with some kind of purposeful plan for that. It might involve giving some portion of it to charity. It might involve putting it in the bank and investing it and, and thinking through how many times it will expand or double over the years or maybe what kind of an income it could provide for you on a monthly basis on a, you know, um, in, in years forward. There's all sorts of things that you could think to do, but to put it all at risk, even if you're really young, with this concept of a quick buck, I'm not, I'm not buying that. You know, I'm just on the way over to the studio this morning, I'm listening to the, the radio and, and they're running these ads that look like a talk show where they're talking about selling people advice on um, how to bet football. And they're saying, wow, if you invest a hundred bucks, we can get you in three days, a thousand. Well, I got problems with that. Um, one, that's a, you know, a, a 10 times return. I mean, that doesn't happen very often, hardly ever. You have to factor in all the people that completely, completely lost their backside on bets like that. Secondly, betting on football, I mean, really? As a form of investment, really? The guy said, invest a hundred bucks. Do people really believe that? They must, because the show is on the air. They have to pay for that time. And that means they must be making money on this stuff. So everybody's out there, not everybody, a lot of people are out there thinking about this get rich quick 
mentality. They're talking about turning a quick buck. And whenever I hear that, um, you know, it, it just makes me a little bit nervous. Um, finances should be a long game. We should all be playing a long game with our personal financial life, thinking about retirement, thinking about acquiring certain kinds of assets, thinking about trying to capture a portion of our monthly cash flow to use it very specifically and precisely for what we want it to do. Instead, what we hear is, you know, politicians and people who make $100,000 in a day on a tip or someone who pulled the slot machine and, you know, made $20 million or someone that won the lotto or, you know, all these kinds of things because it's exciting and it's glitzy and it's glamorous. And playing the long game isn't. It, it's slow and methodical. It's kind of like the tortoise and the hare parable, if you remember that. Who won the race, the tortoise or the hare? Well, the tortoise did because the, the hare ran out fast and got tired. And the, uh, you know, the, the tortoise was slow and steady and, and won the race. So it's not exciting. It's not glitzy it's glam- or glamorous. But you know what? It's really powerful. And I really think that it's the way to go. So you know what? If you got some significant money, look at two or three different things that you could do with it. See how it fits into your overall life plan so that maybe that gift will be a significant part of your retirement. Or maybe that gift will double or triple or quadruple over time. Or maybe you'll be able to make, if you're otherwise on plan, a significant uh, charitable contribution. By the way, you might get some nice tax benefits out of that. Think about the other things that you can do the full range of things that you can do and then make a very conscious decision. But a quick buck, man, I don't know. I don't know that I would do that. But you know what? Um, Thanks for the email. Appreciate it. And I appreciate the opportunity to uh, hopefully uh, get you a little bit back on track. Thanks. All right. That's all the time we have today. But before we uh, wrap this up, I want to just uh, throw something out there for you to think about how you're doing on your goals. This is at the end of the year. Did you accomplish what you wanted to accomplish? You spent a few minutes by yourself writing down a couple of ideas uh, in terms of how you did this year. We're going to use that uh, come a couple episodes from now in the new year to uh, start thinking about putting together a plan for next year. So spend a little time thinking about that. I want you to start getting ready to jump on that new year strong and get that going. This is Dave Hagan. And you've been listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast. You've been listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast, Dave's weekly message to keep you on your path to financial success. If you have a question that you would like Dave to answer on the podcast, go to thefinancialwellnesspodcast.com. You can leave an audio message with one click of a button or type your message into the question box. Either way, it's sent right to Dave's phone. Remember, Dave will randomly draw from the submitted questions and pick the winner of a free one-hour personal conversation with Dave to help you achieve your financial goals. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you receive the new episode notifications or share the podcast via the app with your family and friends. This is your announcer, Nick Appel, wishing you every financial success.